Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to part one of the big interview with Ramon Calderon. If you've not heard Ramon speak on British radio, if you don't know who he is, you're about to meet a former Real Madrid president. But Senor Calderon is much more than that. For the inside account of how to sign Cristiano Ronaldo, because it was him, not Florentino, who did it, or how José Antonio Reyes can make you believe in God again, or how Manchester City weren't just the best negotiators in the world circa 2008 you'll have to wait for part two this first part is a chat with a lifelong madridista someone who goes back to the tail end of the club's first glorious defining era the era as ramon puts it that establishes a legend so strong it can endure more than 30 years in the wilderness in terms of the competition that first defined it that is the european cup let's listen to a guy who chatted with de stefano Let's talk Paco Gento, one of the all-time great wingers. Let's talk about Santiago Bernabeu, the man, not the stadium, and how he started this whole thing. Disfrútalo. Enjoy it. First of all, thank you for making time for us. Welcome. It's, even though the big interview is quite popular, and we've spoken to, I don't know, Graham Sooners, Gary Neville, David Moyes, a friend of yours. Yes. To be welcomed into the office of a Real Madrid president is special for us. But also so is the opportunity to talk about Real Madrid. Ramon, in our country, we're, we're Scottish, but our audience comes from all over the world. People now know Real Madrid because it's brilliantly marketed. They regularly win the Champions League. But I'm very interested. I think our audience is very interested in... Can you take us back to the Real Madrid of your youth? The Real Madrid of... Why did you fall in love with Real Madrid? I think as every young, every kid, when you start to, to know football, to know sport and to play even football in the street, in the, in the school, you have the identification with the success. You feel that a team who is playing for the excellence, as it was at the time Real Madrid, was something very attractive for a kid. And I remember at the time I was um, living in Palencia. It's a very small town close to Madrid. We had a really big club. The club of the city were playing the second division, B, so very, uh, it's a third tier here in, in Spain. And it was the time when Real Madrid was amazing the whole world because after um, a civil war in Spain where everything was really uh, in a big mess, uh, a lot of problems economically, socially. We managed to win five Champions League in a row in the 55 when Di Stefano came. 
also we were able to help in organizing that competition with L'Equipe, the French newspaper. So for Spaniards, was, uh, we, we had a lot of uh, pride and also for a lot of foreigners, uh, immigrants uh, living around Europe, when Real Madrid went there and they, they were able to beat the big uh, teams of the big countries, like in England, in France, in Italy, in Germany, they were able to beat them and to win the title. So the story, uh, legend, starts uh, those um, years. And also the big players were coming to Spain. It was not uh, usual. No one was really doing that. No team was doing that. So Di Stefano, Gento, Puskas, all of them came here. And, well, I'm sure you remember that incredible match, the final against Eintracht, Frankfurt, 7-3 with seven goals, Di Stefano and Puska, something that still people remember, football fans remember what happened in that match. And, and little by little, we started to, to build a story that everyone loved. And I think there's something in this club very special, it's not a company, it doesn't belong to a tycoon, it doesn't belong to a company. So the 93,000 members are the owners uh, of the club. And also in Madrid, I think 70 or 75% of the people who live here, including myself, haven't been born in Madrid. So there is no identification with the city like uh, in other in other place you can imagine, in Barcelona or in Seville or in La Coruña, let's say. So what we have is, as I said before, an identification with its success. And uh, that's why when some players come here, they don't understand the reaction of the Bernabeu when they don't play well. I remember going to Manchester with the club when we were beating in the Champions League, beating them 0-3, amazing much of Ronaldo, the Brazilian. He scored the three goals. And I was really impressed that the fans were backing the team, pushing the team, just cheering them. And I said, wow, if this happened in Bernabeu, would we have empty now with 0-3? So that, that's the difference between what happens here. The people go to the stadium just to see the team playing well, always scoring goals, uh, doing a fantastic way of playing and playing as um, better than any other one. And that's why, for example, here Zidane or Ronaldo were booed. Uh, sometimes when they are not playing well, even Cristiano, this year, a player who is scoring an average of 60 goals per, per season. So that's a special team, a special characteristic of, of the atmosphere around the team, that, that's something that um, is difficult to maintain, to keep. Because when, when I became president, I was saying to the fans, well, remember that it took us 32 years to win the seventh Champions League. From the 66 to the 98, when we won the seventh, we were 32 years without winning anything. But the legend was still there. And people thought that we were winning titles every mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. And it's true that in the last year, things have, have gone much better. And, and the, the, the idea of this club is that 
anyone in the world is really amazed about that story, that we are not uh, really having money uh, coming from big fortunes or big companies. We were very lucky when we are nearly bankrupt. Few people know that in 99, but we managed to sell a plot, our training complex, how we pay all the debts, and we started a model that is really perhaps the most interesting model in the history of football. We knew that we needed to become again the legend we were before, so we tried to sign the best players in order to attract the advertisers, in order to get titles, and with that money, with part of that money, yes, replacing the players that uh, were getting old and, and retiring, and so that the wheel was spinning all the time. Yes, best players, um, the sponsors putting money there, investing money in promoting their brands, and also getting titles. And that, that's been the idea from 2000. And now we are a club with a structure, but perhaps it's the the most perfect one is one-third coming from ticketing, one-third coming from TV rights, and one-third coming from sponsorships. So that's uh, an idea that uh, is a club economically very well structured. And on top of that, only 47% of the income goes to pay salaries. Mm-hmm. That's a very low percentage. It's a very low. Uh, the G8, the organization of the big clubs in the world, in UEFA, uh, they have the 70% of the threshold of, of the maximum that you can be in danger if you go beyond that percentage. So we've managed to have 47%, and in that is included the basketball team, which has won the Champions League in basketball in last year. So that means that it's a perfect combination. I think we have a club very stabilized for the future, and uh, I think we, we are in a, in a good moment in, in many senses, even though some decisions <laughs> have been taken. We, we'll, we'll, we'll come to those. <laughs> yeah. I know who we're going to talk about in a minute, <laughs> and you know what I think of him. Yeah. For the moment, help me. The only, I speak to my neighbours in Barcelona. I speak to them about the 50s and the 60s, and it interests me. Our country was changing beyond belief in the 60s. We're not English, but London was kind of the centre of the world. It was open, it was cosmopolitan, it was sexy, it was creative. But when you were nine or ten and, and beginning to enjoy the, the, this fabulous team, this success, you were attracted by success, and you hinted that Madrid was a way to maybe lift everybody out of their daily concerns, just give me a, a, an understanding of what life in Spain, OK, 15, 20 years after the Civil War... But what was life in Spain like then? I think most people who are listening to us now won't understand the type of country it was and how it changed Spain to be run by Franco. What yeah. was life like then? Well, I was a kid at the time and we didn't really realise the situation. I think it was good at the beginning. After the civil war, everything was changing. Everyone was knew that... If they work, they could improve. They can get a second house for holidays. They can get a better car. They can get a better house. So I think all the, uh, the dictatorships in the first years, even though all the problems and we know we are Democrats, well, we know we don't like that. But in some moment, it's okay because 
it is the way to organize properly something which is completely destroyed. So that, that was very good at the time. We had many years uh, with a fantastic improvement, a very, very important improvement in many senses. And uh, I think when uh, Franco died, everyone thought it's going, it was going to be a big problem here. At the time, I was, in fact, working in London, and I remember it was in 75. Everyone was asking me, what's going to happen now in Spain? Yes, yes. It's going to be a big trouble, a civil war again, how people are going to accept the, the change. The right wing, the extreme right wing, are going to accept that it's going to be a democracy. democracy. What's going to happen with the king? A lot of um, question marks about the future. But I think we were really exemplary in, in any sense. We, we managed to do things in the right way. Everyone thought it was the moment to change. The king came. By the way, he's done an amazing job in, uh, for democracy and for the understanding of the Spaniards. And, uh, and we, we held the elections in a very, very civilized way. The Communist Party, that was the... The devil. The, at least the devil, the maybe devil, worse. The devil. Yes. Everyone was thinking about what happened here with Russia, yes, uh, supporting the communists and, and how Franco fight against that. So difficult, very difficult. But they were allowed to participate yeah, they were in allowed, the elections. It was perfect. The one who Suarez, Suarez at the time said, well, this must be the end. We have to start a new life, uh, a new era, a new period. And we did it, and it was difficult. It was in uh, Easter, when he did, everyone was on holiday, he decides to allow the Communist Party, so everyone was shocked, but no one could really react. Uh, and the ones who did were very few. So we knew we needed to change our system of life all together, trying to make uh, a country, a new country in some way, because everyone was uh, called to participate in the elaboration of the new country, that, that was fantastic. And I think uh, uh, we are now in a difficult, in this moment, not easy situation because we are going to, uh, everyone know, to have a new elections because the parties didn't get an agreement. But I think we, we are living in a very good moment, uh, improving our um, economy. is. Uh, it was booming a few years ago as in everywhere in the world, but it's true that uh, we suffered also the big crash uh, of the whole world. But I think it's a country among the, I don't know, top uh, 15 or top 20. And uh, my son, who is traveling a lot, he really likes to travel. When he comes back, he's been living in South America, he's living in the Middle East. When he comes here, and I took him just for a walk or with a car, say, you know that we are living in a very, very nice country. This is a very nice city, and it's something that is interesting for the kids. When you put the, you set the bar very high, you think that everything is the same in the world. And I think we in Europe are having good times, uh, mixed with something that we don't like. But in some way, we, I think I'm, I'm proud of, of. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, 
edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I can't. It's understandable. When when God invented golf, he decided that he needed to invent Scotland. It was one of his first jobs, and he, he did very well. Yet I've chosen to live in your country, not Scotland. Yeah. That but tells you a lot about Spain. Maybe because of the weather. <laughs> the people, the football, the passion for sport. You mentioned another leader, a guy who fought for Franco in Santiago Bernabeu. To, to most people who are, who are not our age, it'll just be a name on a stadium. And I would never disagree with my favourite Real Madrid president ever, but you said the, the model was kind of invented in 2000. Well, maybe. I've read a nice book by Santiago Bernabeu, and who was his vice president? Saporta? Saporta. Saporta, OK. Then they talked with Real and with Alfredo Di Stefano. They talked about buying the best players to make the world pay attention. There's at least a similarity between that model and this model. But explain Bernabeu to us. Tell us about him. Well, he was uh, everything in the club except uh, ball. <laughs> he did everything. He was a player, he was a coach, he was a director, he was the president. He was a visionary in some way because he did what now everything is uh, something normal, but at the time was impossible. As I said before, after civil war... We were a very, very difficult economic situation, but he understood the idea of bringing, as you said, the best players. He was the one who decided to import, to have foreign foreigners playing with Real Madrid. He invented the competition in Europe. Few people know that. And he got in touch with L'Equipe and decided to organize that competition. And, uh, and he also uh, knew that it was important to have a big stadium. It was difficult at the time to build the stadium that we had here. Because 100,000 in... people were, can be standing, some of them stand, most of them standing at the time. And, and people didn't really understand what he was trying to do. But he was inventing, he, in his mind, he was the big Real Madrid that at, in '55 was impossible to think about that. Because after the Civil War, Real Madrid had been damaged badly by that war. No doubt. And Athletic Bilbao maybe were the big club. Maybe Barcelona in those days were bigger. Even Atletico. Right. And until Bernabeu arrives, Madrid are, are still a big club, but they're not winning so much. That's it's right. It's true. 
That's right. And there is a legend that is, uh, is a lie that we hear regularly, mainly coming from, from the rivals, <laughs> saying that we he, were favored. He means Barcelona. By, by Franco. But, and it took us 17 years to win La Liga title. And in, at that time, we won five Champions League in a row. And imagine how Spain was seen in Europe, not really in a good way. No. We were a, a dictatorship. No one was um, thinking it was the right uh, system. And we won those uh, Champions League. That's, that's an idea of someone, as I said before, a visionary, so that the football would be what is now. Yes. But in the 50s, well, that was impossible. It's incredible, isn't it's it? It's incredible. And he managed the club like a family and started to have the pledges in a way that there is when now people say they feel when they have the crest and they, they really kiss the crest and they, they feel what is the shirt, the, the white shirt. He started to give that idea to the players, uh, even the players coming from abroad, the Copa from France or Puskas from Hungary or Di Stefano from Argentina. I had many talks with Di Stefano, uh, very interesting talks. In the nine years I've been linked to the club, six as a director and three as the president. He said that uh, when he came here to uh, play with millionaires for um, I think it was a, a, a friendly match. And uh, Bernabeu saw him and he knew he was the player. At the time, Di Stefano was 30 or 31. So he told me that he was uh, in Buenos Aires painting his house. Someone came and said, you Alfredo Di Stefano? Yeah, yeah, Alfredo Di Stefano. I come from Real Madrid. Say, Real Madrid, go, go to hell. What are you saying? No, no, we want to hire you. Hire Real Madrid? Are you sure? You are joking? No, 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 we aren't joking. So he came and was the legend, as you know. He's been the best player ever. Yes. Something amazing at the time. He he could do everything on the field. All over the pitch, right? All over the pitch. And he was a very interesting person. I really had very good moments with him. He didn't like to talk very much. No. As the really good ones, the best in any sense... He didn't want to be compared with any other. And uh, I remember sometimes in our lunches and times very relaxed and in trips, talking to him on the plane or in the hotel, I say, Alfredo, some people say that you are just uh, have similarities with Zidane. He said, well, uh, he has, I don't know what is the expression in, we, in Spanish, we say, Tiene un aire, is similar. He's and, got something about him. And he said, he has a viento, a wind, no, not even a, <laughs> he has a, like a wind, like some, something similar. But he didn't like that because, of course, he understood that Zidane was really one of those players difficult to see. And, 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 and Di Stefano and Bernabeu made a, a good combination. Yes. Despite at the end, as always, uh, the, the great... Uh, Men don't, don't want to retire, to retire ever. They really think that they have to be immortals. And uh, at the end, it was a very difficult situation. He played a little bit um, too long. This is where, because it's our podcast, I can take a risk. Because maybe, I don't know if you remember this, but when you were more or less 11, and, and this fascinates yeah, yeah. me, Di Stefano was kidnapped. I know, I know, he... He told me about that many times in Venezuela. 
Tell me, <laughs> please tell me. It's it's an extraordinary story, right? They're yeah. they're there in the in the team hotel, and these Venezuelan I think terrorists is the wrong word, but Venezuelan sort of liberation fighters come into his room, kidnap the greatest player in the world, yeah. and take him away, right? Yeah, it was I think three four days, very short time. He said that he was playing cards with them. He said that he he didn't really was scared. He never thought he was going to be killed. But they did have guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah they had a gun. But they say that in the end they were really like friends. Uh, maybe is the Stockholm, Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. syndrome. Yeah. The, he said that he was really, really nice with them. He knew that he was going. To, they, they was going to liberate him, and uh, he didn't like to talk too much about that. He because I imagine is not. Um, a very nice situation when you are kidnapped. I would and, say not. And I'm sure. And, but uh, I, I think he he wasn't really suffering too much, despite he didn't like to talk much also about that. I completely understand why. One of the things, before we move away from your youth and the years that made Real Madrid golden, great, do you, do you agree with me that perhaps for some reason or other, Paco Gento is a little bit, forgotten, or not forgotten, but underappreciated. Because there was Maybe. Di Stefano, because there was Bernabeu, because there was all these cups, people forget about a Spaniard. No, you, no doubt. Because he's very humble. He's, he was, and he's still very humble. He didn't like really to appear like a, a great figure, but he was. He was. A, D- describe him as a player, please, for those who've never seen him. He was very, very fast. Uh, he was, well, it was uh, interesting and funny, because when he came here from Santander, when small uh, village of Santander in the north of Spain, he was very fast, but he couldn't control the speed. <laughs> I remember the players were uh, throwing him the ball. He was just passing the line. He was, he is, they started to, to teach him how to do that, how to, uh, to run just close to the line and going to the end and just uh, sending uh, a pass. And... He was little by little doing that, and I think at the time it was impossible to follow him. It was one of those players that very difficult to have that speed at the time that the physical condition wasn't really important. Yes. You see, when Puskas came here, he, he had a belly. Yes. He had a belly, in, but he was amazing, just scoring goals and, and playing. It was a different time. So at that time, being so fast as Hento was, was something amazing. People really wanted to see him just running uh, close to the line until, until the end, until the, until the goal. The only man in history with six European Cups, the That's only right. man. The only one, because he won that one called the Ye Yes. The Ye, on, in the I know why they were called the Ye Yes. Tell me why they were called the Ye Yes. Well, it was at the time when the... The Beatles were... The Beatles were... were the, they, she loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 They called Ye Yes. To that generation here. Because Madrid were so cool, they were in, they yeah, were they called, the, yeah, the sexiest yeah. football in the world. And, so, and that yeah, yes. and was the last uh, years of, uh, I think the last season of Gento, playing with all the yeyes, where the long hair was very special here. And I remember when Breiner, you know Breiner? Paul Breiner, yeah. Paul Breiner came here from Germany. He was with long hair, and at the time wasn't well seen. And I remember Bernabeu, Ask him to cut the hair, just not to appear like with that uh, hair. Like a hippie. He, he had like a hippie. Was really, really interesting that time. Also the change from the old era and the new one. 
And as I said before, from the uh, year 66, nothing until 98, but the legend was still there. People didn't forget Real Madrid, even though we had very, very big defeats, mainly in Germany. It was like uh, something that we couldn't um, overcome, the playing in Germany. We were beaten in a way sometimes 5-0, 4-0. Really, we were... We, we, we couldn't overcome the playing against the Germans. I remember a friend of yours, Kevin Keegan, for Hamburg, beating Real Madrid with Dabowski in, in one of those That's games. That's right. A big, big <laughs> defeat. Eh? Because the Germans yeah. seem to be maybe more aggressive or more I powerful. I think the or... powerful, the strength, uh, they were in a way that... I think that, uh, changing the, the topic, that has changed very much in Spain, the young people... The new generations are completely are completely different nowadays because they have um, they have a healthy behaviors. They uh, they go regularly to the gym. Yes. They eat healthy food. They don't smoke. So in the the strength of the the power of the young people are much much higher than than before. And I think in the last 20, 25 years, the average height has increased 10 or 15 centimeters. And the people, I think, are taller, are 10 or 12 centimeters taller than 20 or 25 years ago. Which, when you're playing against big German rivals in sporting terms, makes it... Yeah, perhaps like, we were weaker and we couldn't really overcome that powerful of the Germans. As we gently... It's, it's a horrible feeling, as, even though you give us generous amounts of time. It's a horrible feeling to, to skip through the 70s and 80s, which were important, interesting years for Real Madrid. One of the things I can't let go is, you can describe for us a man that's loved in our country, Vincente Del Bosque, because we see him, we see his teams. I think that the modern wave of affection and love, in, in Britain at least, for Real Madrid, began with that era when Del Bosque took over from Toshak as a coach. Help us with his playing style. Remind us of when I interviewed a Celtic player who played... Real Madrid in the European Cup in 1980, Celtic won 2-0 in Glasgow, then Real Madrid won 3-0 here. Billy McNeil, the, the legendary manager of Celtic, who, who was the first British man to lift the European Cup yeah. in 67, he told his players, this is one of the best footballers I've ever seen, about Del Bosque. Describe what he did I on think the pitch. In the midfield, he, was, he put the pace, he was really really in a way that he could manage the team, yes, very calm, very relaxed. In those moments where the problem in, on the field was arising, he was able to put the, the rhythm. Uh, the in, rhythm of the match, the tempo of the, of the match. match. Right. He could yes. do that, even though and he wasn't really a slow player. It, it seemed in some way, but he wasn't. He, he, he could move the ball in a way that just uh, made other players play in the right way. And it's true what you said. Everyone uh, remembers him as someone that could change a match in some moment, just organizing the team in the right way, just keeping the ball. One of those players, all of them are looking for when things are not in the right way. They just try to find him and give the ball. Yes, he could organize and send the passes, the assists to other players, and it's true. I think he, he won, he's he been one of the players, perhaps not um, very well known. Uh, nowadays, 
the ones who really are uh, in the highlights are the the forwards, yes, the strikers. The yes. Uh, as, as the Argentina said, uh, always said, that one who put the ball in the cage is yes. what they, <laughs> they say. That's, that's the one who gets the money. Put the ball in the cage. And uh, he, he wasn't that man, but he helped others to do that. There you go. The Big Interview is produced by Backpage and by me, Graham Hunter. Thanks as always to Beer Jacket for the music. Please don't really keep up to date with everything that we're doing at grahamhunter.tv. But sign up. It's free. There's a little box for your email address and it means that you won't miss an episode. Never mind all the podcast apps that you've got. I'm undercast, overcast, wombling free, whatever it might be. Sign up with us and we send you the podcast every time it comes out. And we tell you about little pieces of news and we allow you to get your questions to us for the guests as we announce them. There's a newsletter. It'll keep you informed with everything that the Big Interview's doing. We're on Facebook. Look for The Big Interview. We're at GH Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Please keep in touch. Let us know what you think. We do this for you, not just for ourselves, although, damn it, we do enjoy it. Thanks for being there. Bye. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.